I, I love our country. I realize that I'm a citizen of, of heaven, and that is where my true allegiance lies. Man, we are so blessed to live in this country. Uh, you, you look around the world, you travel around the world, and there are a lot of amazing places to go visit, to go see. But man, when the wheels of that plane land on the soil here, and you realize how many rights and opportunities that we are afforded, it's, it's incredible. You're thankful for what God has done. I'll say that again. You're, we're, I'm thankful for what God has done. I, I don't believe that a, America is any greater or Americans are any greater than anybody else in this world. But uh, this country was founded upon principles from the Word of God. You look around today and you see trouble and, and turmoil around us pretty much everywhere you, you look. I, you, you look at the news, which I can't hardly watch the news because it's, it just really depresses me. Um, I have to watch something a little more humorous. But, uh, but you look around and you see everybody's in conflict with one another and there's arguing and, and uh, hatred and, and just spewing out of, out of every every place and everywhere in our country and it and it's sad it's a shame and the scripture tells us to pray for those that are in authority that we could live a quiet and peaceful life and i i am one that, that believes that prayer works and i i do believe that there is something that we can do as god's people that can help ensure that we live a quiet and peaceful life and you can say well the country's already gone and there's but, but I'm, I'm an optimist. I, I always look at the glass half full. As long as the, the church of the living God is still living and breathing and on this earth, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And that there's nothing in this world, there's nothing that's going on in this world that cannot be stopped, that cannot be changed, that cannot be turned around, that cannot be diminished by the presence and power of the living God living and dwelling in you and I. We are the children of God. So I want to talk to you today about the, the power of holiness. That's an ominous word, isn't it? Holiness. Uh, let me ask you, how, how many of you like to go to the doctor? Anybody like going to the doctor? About the only time you don't want to go to the doctor, you'd rather go to the doctor than the dentist. I get that. But I know one person, one person that loves to go to the doctor I'm not going to mention her name because uh, she's on my wife's side of the family and she will hear her name and then she'll have to go to the doctor. Uh, but we don't tell her when anybody else has, is sick or needs to go to the doctor because every time somebody else goes, she has to go. And so we know if I go to the doctor within three days, she's going to the doctor. If Nancy goes to the doctor within three days, she's going to the doctor. It's just one of those things. And the doctors have given her so many pills and medicine, it's amazing. She's like a pharmacy in her purse. It's incredible. You can say, I've got a headache. She'll say, I've got a pill for that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what your ailment is. She has, uh, you know, the remedy right there. She loves going to the doctor. But see, 
I don't like going to the doctor, but when I do, other than just a checkup, it's because I feel like there's something wrong, and, and I want that doctor to tell me the truth. You don't want a doctor to lie to you. Well, maybe you do. I don't want my doctor to lie to me. I want my doctor to tell me, hey, there's something wrong and this is what it is. Because I go to them not because I like to hang out with them. I just don't go to the doctor's office just to hang out and say hi and, and, uh, and, and get caught up on the local news. What I really go to the doctors for is to help me understand what is going on and help me fix it so I can be back to normal so that I don't have to go see them anymore. It, it's one of those things that, that we, we want them to diagnose us correctly, give us the proper remedy so we can be on with our lives. And the scripture tells us, gives us a diagnosis for, the, for what is happening in our world today. Also gives us a cure. And I want to talk to you today about that cure. That cure will not come from Washington, D.C., it's not going to come from your politicians. It's not going to come from a military. It's not going to come anywhere else but in the Word of God. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5, it says, For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And here's God speaking to us, and He says, Be holy, pure, without any wrongdoing, wrong attitudes, wrong action. Be pure, for I am pure. Be holy with right attitude, right actions, right, right conduct, right character. Now, how many of us realize that that's an impossibility for us? Now, you know, you've heard the guy that was praying and said, Lord, I, I haven't done anything wrong today, and, and, and I've, I, I haven't thought of any bad thoughts. I haven't been mad at anybody, haven't done anything wrong, but I'm getting ready to get out of bed. And I'm really going to need your help. That's kind of, kind of the way I look at this. It's like, be holy, for I am holy. God commands us to be holy. The reality is that we cannot be holy on our own. Holiness is the presence of God in us, is what it really comes down to. So I want to talk to you today about, about that for a moment. The, a lot of people get confused with justification and sanctification or salvation versus uh, that progressive sanctifi sanctifying work of the presence of power of God in our lives. When we come to Christ, Ephesians, Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We are saved, our sins are pardoned, not by our own work, not by our own merit, not by our own deeds, not because of anything that, that we have done or, or our looks or our abilities or our resources. It's the sheer grace of God, the unmerited favor of a creator that decided that humanity was lost and without hope, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to live and die and rise again that you and I could be pardoned from our wrongdoing, from our sins, from our transgressions, that our sins, when we ask him to forgive us, he casts them as far as the east is from the west. That's salvation. 
That is something that we didn't earn, something that we didn't deserve, but God in his great riches and mercy has given it to us, that free gift. That's why we sing songs about, oh, I'll cherish the old rugged cross, because for those of us that know what it means and what it feels like to have our sins pardoned, the word justified simply is a legal term. It means that you're made right in the eyes of the law. So if you go to, to court and you can be guilty, and yet if the judge declares you innocent, you're free. That's what Christ's work on the cross, cross did for us. It didn't say you're pure. It said you're innocent because I declare you innocent because I am taking the penalty from the suffering of Christ in your stead. We are justified. Scripture also tells us about being sanctified. Paul writes, may God himself, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may God himself sanctify you through and through. I love that. Through and through. Sanctify. Sanctify means set apart. And what, what he's saying is, for those of us that have been justified, for those of us that are followers of Christ, for those of us that have had our sins washed away and removed by the sacrifice of Christ, there is an ongoing process from the moment you become a Christian till the time the trumpet sounds. That's sanctification. That is the Holy Spirit working in us to make us more and more and more like Christ. See, it's justification, sanctification, and when the trumpet sounds, it's glorification. When we finally rid ourselves of this sinful nature. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be rid of that sinful nature. And next week, we're going to talk about the power of the mind and, 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 uh, and how, to, how to put down that, that sinful nature. But when we're looking at, at sanctification... See, sin in our life is somewhat of an umbrella that, that, that keeps the blessings of God from pouring in on us. The reason why Christ calls us and the Holy Spirit moves in us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to remove those sins and attitudes in our life, it's not because He's looking at us and saying, hey, if you don't knock that off, you're going to get in trouble. Christ is compassionate. He has a great desire to be close to us. He wants to be part of our everyday life, but he is holy and we are not. But the more we move away from our desires and we move aside and we allow that sanctifying work to happen in our life, we become more and more and more like Christ. And Christ gets what he wants, a relationship with us that we can hear him and that he hears us. That's what sanctifying, uh, that's what sanctification really is. It's God's 
yearning and desire to know us and for us to know him. It's not because he wants to transform us into something that we don't want to be. It's something that he knows that if we will allow the work of sanctification in our life, something amazing will happen. The doors of heaven will open and you will be flooded with the very presence of the living God in your life. But it's our attitudes and our sins and those small things that are in our life that keep the blessings of God from flowing. I know I'm meddling a little bit, so I'm just going to pick on myself. You ever, you ever had a wrong attitude? That's what I thought. You ever try to have a prayer meeting with a wrong attitude? That's why Paul was talking about married couples. He says, don't let your... Don't let the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger. Why? Because you can't be angry at somebody else and have a right relationship with God. Paul, John said it this way. He says, if you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, you're lying. And the love of God is not in you. So the reality is sanctification is that is that process that is at work in each and every one of our lives. And, and it's God's desire not to torment us, but to reveal in us wrong attitudes and wrong actions and wrong thoughts and wrong desires that are within us, that we can lay them down. So as we lay them down, we can be filled with Him. And the more we're filled with Him, the more we get to have a relationship with Him. And that's what He's really after is that relationship with us. Our closeness to God is hindered by our own actions and our own deeds. It's, our, it's my own sin. I'm not talking about sin that's going to keep me out of heaven because I've been justified. I'm talking about those attitudes, actions, and conduct and character that's going to keep me from having a relationship with Christ that is so close and so personal and so real that he floods you with his presence. See, we're, we're good. I'm good at, at, at seeing things through my own eyes. Jeremiah said it this way. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. See, I, I can justify pretty much anything because my heart does that. You know, if, if I haven't spoken to somebody in, in a year because I'm mad at them, I can justify that. Well, they didn't speak to me last time, so I'm mad at them. But the reality is, the heart is deceitful. And our heart, our heart makes us believe it's others that have the issue. You know, now I've told you before, we have the Mary Poppins syndrome. We're practically perfect in every way. But it's our heart that deceives us in thinking it's somebody else. And it's amazing when, when I, I was thinking about this and studying the other day on, on forgiveness. And, and forgiveness is never about somebody else coming and telling you you're sor that they're sorry. That's reconciliation. Forgiveness is when somebody offends you and you let it go. And you truly forgive them. It, it, it's something completely different. 
but our heart doesn't want to do that. And so today I, I want to take a look at, at the scripture that we were reading in, in Romans 1. And I want to look in that mirror and, and look at what, what our heart allows us and the deceitfulness of our heart. And it's deceptive. It tricks us. It gets us to believe things that, that we shouldn't believe and gets us to have thoughts that we shouldn't have and to have, take action that we shouldn't take. And it's because we can justify it. But when we look in the mirror of the Word of God, we see ourselves as we really are. And we're able to begin to walk in a relationship with God based on His Word that is fulfilling and full of riches. And to be honest, it's the cure for our country. The cure for our country is not just others that don't know Christ coming to Him, but it's God's people, those that are called by their by his name that humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven and heal their land. It's us. And you say, well, man, I, I, I don't know if I want to do, you know, here's the great thing. We get the opportunity to do that. We get to be, we get to be part of something amazing, something that's incredible. This country can be turned right side up. And it could start with a revival right here in this group. And you say, well, I don't know. Well, I would say, I do know. Because the Word of God tells us. It's simple. Let's take a look. Let's take a look in that mirror. What is sin? Sin is simply, the word sin is simply hamartia. It just simply means missing the mark. It's just doing your own thing. Here's what God says and you do your own thing. Sin brings the wrath of God. The wrath of God, the things that happen. And here's, and you see it's being revealed from heaven against all un ungodliness and wickedness. Here's what happens with sin. You say, well, why are all these shootings and murders and all this other stuff going on in the world? It's sin. It's sin. And it's the, and the, and you see it, and you see the evidence of it, and it, you see people making wrong choices, and you see people following their own heart and their own desire, and their heart is deceiving them to believe that they are right and they are wrong. That, that man that went in and shot, shot and killed five people this week in, in a newspaper uh, office, he believed with all of his heart that he was right, that he was justified. Let's take a look at what the scripture says. See, sin brings the wrath of God. Sin keeps the Christian from walking in the Spirit. Scripture tells us in Romans that they that walk in the Spirit don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Because you can't do both. Because the desires of the flesh keep us from walking in the Spirit. But when we walk in the Spirit, we're not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And, and the whole goal of sanctification is, is walking in the presence and the Spirit of God. When, we, when you look at the origin of sin in Genesis 2, 16, it was found in the Garden of Eden that, that that's where the origin of sin came. And Scripture tells us that through one man's disobedience, sin fell on all of us, that all of us became sinners, that all of us have a sinful nature, that all of us have this desire, this heart that wants to do those things that are contrary to God. And I've said this before, but I don't believe anybody ever had to tell you how to lie or how to steal 
or how to be deceptive. I've never sat down and I, I didn't go to class and they said, okay, here, here's what's going to happen. Here's how you steal cookies from the cookie jar. I just, that came with instinct. I saw the cookies. My mom said, don't take them. And I said, I'm taking them. Because they were good and I wanted them. That's what sin is. God says, here, do this. And you say, no, I want to do that. That's, that's what sin really is. Sin started in the Garden of Eden. But sin, sin has a, a devastating a devastating point in our life because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone has sinned. The apostles sinned. That, that all but Christ have sinned. It doesn't matter how good we are. And the reality is the intent of sin, what sin really does in our life, sin pursues us. In Genesis 4.7 God told Cain, he said, Sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting for you. Sin tries to pursue you and tries to manipulate you and tries to tantalize you and tries to get you to give in to sin. It's that sinful nature that's within us that tries to, to constantly go after us. I also know that, that sin disappoints, according to Hebrews eleven twenty five. that no matter how tempted you are no matter what the sin is when you commit that sin there's never the satisfaction that you really thought you would have because sin pursues us sin disappoints sin ensnares it ensnares it, it it holds you it binds you it keeps you it restrains you when you're when you're young and, and there's been many a many a young man and or young girl that that have been tempted to to do different things and I know many people that have have uh, started and they started uh, doing a little drinking here and a little drinking there and before long here they are 19 20 21 and they're already addicted and they are ruining their life because they were tempted and when they were tempted, uh, they couldn't stop with one. And before long, it was a snare, and it had them bound. So that's what sin does. Sin starts with something small, and we begin, and we think we can, can play with it. We think we can just keep a little bit of it in our life, and we think that we can just, just toy with it a little bit. And, and then the problem is sin binds us, and it keeps us from the blessings of God. Sin pursues, sin disappoints, sin ensnares, sin enslaves, and sin exposes. Those things that I don't, I don't know of, of anybody. I've never seen anybody that has gone through the pain and sorrow of addictions and everything else that said, boy, that was really worth it. But when they started off, it was never that way. And you say, well, is, is it just the, the addictions? No, it's, it's those little white lights can turn into big ones. It's anything that, that, that 
is a, considered a sin that we can allow in our life. But here's the great thing about sin. Here's the greatest thing about sin that you need to remember. Not just that it ensnares and enslaves us and it tempts us and it pursues us, it's following us, it's trying to get us. The, the scripture says that the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what sin is doing. But here's, here's the biggest thing that you need to remember about sin. Sin is a choice. Scripture says that the greatest power in the world is God. Would you agree? I was just making sure you're still awake. Second, the greatest power in the world is, is love or God because God is love. A lot of people think the second greatest power is the devil and that's not true. The second greatest power is, the, are you ready for this? is the will of man. Because the, God is not going to make you, and the devil cannot make you. God, there's going to be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but at this point, you don't have to. You don't have to serve him if you don't want to. It's to whomsoever will. God is not going to force you. No, he is going to pursue you with reckless abandon and, make sh and, and give you effort opportunity. But the devil, on the other hand, cannot make you. That's why you see all these billboards about, about cigarettes. And it always, have you ever noticed that all, it's always really young people and they're smiling and they've got pretty white teeth and they're running? Here, smoke this and you get to do this. They never show the person that has emphysema or has a, a trach. Because the reason why that happens, and the reason why, if you look at the billboards around us and you look at the TV commercials around us, it's the adversary trying to get us to buy into his lie. He's trying to get us to choose to do those things because he knows he can't he knows he can't force you he can't make you sin is a choice sin is a personal choice it's a choice that we make and we don't have to have it we don't have to do it and this is the part that i like the things that are going on in our country today we don't have to do them it's not it's not inevitable that these things happen, that, that God's people can rise up and a revival can happen through God's people saying, I choose not to sin, but I choose to follow him. 1 John 1.9 says, I love this scripture, and I'm, I'm close to the end. This is, this is a horse with short legs, so I'm, I'm close to the end. It says, if we confess our sins, don't you? now who's he talking to here? He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to, to people that don't know Christ. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins, maybe. Sometimes. 25% of the time, if he's in a good mood. Now, what does it say? If we confess our sins to whom? To him. 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. That's that sanctifying work from all, all unrighteousness. That simply means there's nothing in your life if it's holding you down. And that's why I heard Chad was praying about, about and, and, and Chad and I, had we're, we're not in cahoots there. That, he was just praying that if, some, if somebody had some, a sin in their life that was holding them back, that, that they would release it. I'm telling you today, the Word of God is really clear. If you confess to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what has happened or what you've done or what has a hold on you. If you will confess to him, he will forgive you and he will give you the authority and power in your life to rise above it, to walk over it. And that that mountain that you think is, is too great, when you get the presence of God in your life and the pardon and the forgiveness of these sins in your life he can break any and every chain those mountains become molehills in the presence of God that's what if we confess to God we identify it and acknowledge it and we know our condition we make no excuses about it we just say here we are God and we fall on his mercy and compassion Man, and we look at it and we say, well, well, why would we do that? Are we terrified? We shouldn't be terrified. We should look at God's reason and purpose, why he wants us to get rid of these things in our life. It's because he wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with us. That's the reason why. I, I look at our church. I look at churches around the world, but I look at our church and, man, I think, man, God's going to use any church. He might as well use ours. See, in, in 1971, in, in, in Saskatchewan, Canada, there was a pastor that was, his church was kind of going through the motions, and, and, and it had been that way for a while. So he just started, he started praying and fasting. And he would pray, and he'd go into the church and just pray, and nobody was in there, and he would just pray. And, and before long, they started a Wednesday night prayer, and, and then the Wednesday night prayer started off small, but then it started getting bigger, and it started getting bigger. And then the elders of the church decided that they would have a Saturday night prayer, and, and they would come in around 9 o'clock on Saturday night, and they would pray until whenever they stopped, in early morning hours, and they were, and the church took on this, this attitude of prayer. And what was amazing is, the prayer started changing people, and, and, and what happened was they were praying for their community and praying for their country, but what really happened was that the people started repenting and asking God to forgive them of things that were in their life. There was this one couple, he was an elder, and she was a leader in the church, and, and, and she had a, a very critical spirit, just was negative about everything, and, and, and the Lord spoke to her, and she openly confessed it and she went to everybody that she had criticized and asked them for forgiveness her husband said well that's good for you but i'm not going to forgive my brother because we haven't spoken nine years and god began to work on him and both these brothers had gone to the same church and hadn't spoken in nine years the Lord moved on both of them and they both asked for forgiveness and they both embraced one another and revival broke out. 
it was incredible. They said thousands of people's lives were transformed and changed. Not just in the church, but around the community. They said even, even other churches were, were coming together for these revival meetings that were just happening. And people were being cleansed on the inside. And, and, and it broke out and, and helped their community. In fact, one fugitive that was running from the law gave his life to Christ and then turned himself into the police. That's transformation. And if it can happen in Canada, it can happen in North Florida where the land that God really loves. And you say, well, that was there. Well, I, I've, I've experienced that before. In the first, first Alliance Church I ever pastored, we, we were kind of going through that and we, we, were, we started praying and, and I started praying on Wednesday night. I was the only one there praying on Wednesday night. Then I had one other guy join me a couple months later. And, uh, and he was a new believer. We were just praying. And, and we were praying for musicians. We were praying for a lot of things. And, and uh, he started seeing the Lord start answering some of those prayers. And then our Wednesday night prayer started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and it was amazing. And I, I can still remember the, the Sunday morning service that broke it open. And I had a young guy helping lead worship. He was a young guy, he was a big guy, big tattoos everywhere. And, and uh, he's up there leading, singing, and the presence of God hit him. And here's this big guy, you know, 240 pounds or so, and just start shaking like a reed in the wind. Tears rolling down his cheeks. Because the presence of God was so strong. And as he started just worshiping God, I was standing over here and I watched him. And it was like a wave of the presence of God hit. And as it hit every row, people began to stand and worship God with tears just flowing. And that was the beginning of the revival in that church. And it all started with prayer. And it all started with people saying, you know, I just want to get closer to God. And it's amazing what happens when God's people get close to Him. Great things happen. God loves us too much to keep us where we are. He challenges us. He urges us. He confronts us. He pleads with us to pull pull away from those things in our life and pursue Him. And when we do, amazing things happen. When you and I, as God's people, and we're already on this journey, so I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but I will tell you this, we're on that journey. And the closer we get to getting to that place where God's presence begins to work on our lives and we begin to lay down these attitudes and, and different things. And that's when you're going to see your church mushroom. God is not waiting on people out there. He's waiting on His people in here. Scripture tells us, you know, when, when we're partaking in communion and as often as you do partake in communion, to do it in remembrance of Him. 
We're doing, we're remembering what Christ did. He gave, he gave us this opportunity, this great opportunity to, to be children of the living God. I don't know about you, but that, that excites me. That gets me excited. Children of the living God. And I realize today that it's not, it's not something that we can earn and, and that we're thankful for it and, and we appreciate what the Lord has done. But I wonder today, I wonder today as we prepare for communion, I wonder if, if we could take a moment and if the Lord has spoken to you throughout this message today, maybe there is somebody that you need to forgive. Maybe there's something that you need to let go of. Maybe there's a memory or a past hurt that you need to say, I'm walking away from that. Scripture is clear. If we confess to him, if we confess to him, he's faithful, faithful and just. He is going to give us a new lease on life. I wonder today, for those of you that are hungry for the presence of God like I am, if we could lay aside those things in our life. If the Lord has spoken to you about something, would you just confess it to him right now?